0: Let's go to the uh, Dude Maker Skype line. We haven't talked to Mitter Hitchburn since June of this year, and uh, you might not—you uh, might know it, you might not. He's been traveling a lot and also had a uh, uh, a case of the flu, which I believe you—he's fully recovered from now. Mitter
1: Hitchburn, how are you? Hanging in there. Uh, you know it's. Uh... <laughs> the the, uh, the China flu is uh, is well it wasn't fun.
0: So I didn't want to put words in your mouth. I <laughs> wanted you to say it. So you uh, you had the CCP virus. How did you mm-hmm. beat it? How did you get over it? Uh,
1: just a lot of, well you know I, I had a brief regimen of uh, ivermectin and, and hydroxychloroquine okay. um, provided by uh, some good people. Uh, but, uh, you know, I I took those, gosh, I must have been more than a week into the illness mm-hmm. uh, when I started taking those. So, I, I don't know if they actually helped or hindered. All I know is that for the first three days, I had a high fever between 102 and 103. Wow. Which then reduced to a low fever that lasted for six days. So, uh, around 99 or 100 degrees, um my my normal body temperature is around 97. So that's, you know, relatively high for me. But so 99 to 100 degree fever. My skin felt like I had been sandblasted Ooh. and the top layer of skin removed. So the slightest breeze was agony. Golly,
0: uh, I didn't have. Well, you know what? I did have sores, uh, a, a soreness, body soreness, but mm-hmm. I didn't have it that bad.
1: <laughs> oh, it was awful. Uh, wearing wearing loose fitting clothing that, that brushed up against my skin was agony. Uh, I had really bad back pain, uh, just, you know, body aches, muscle pain kind of thing. Um, soaking in a tub helped a little, uh, I didn't have any other real symptoms until, oh, and I lost my sense of taste and smell. I mean, those were gone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You lose that for sure.
1: And so then after all of the, you know, the active illness symptoms went away, all of a sudden I developed a cough and it was uh, a pretty heavy cough that I still have a little bit. I I can actually get through uh, a decent conversation without choking or or coughing, but every once in a while it'll come out, you know, just a (laughs) kind of thing, but um, so it's, it's been no bueno.
0: Well, well look, I, I mean, that pretty much describes, other than the skin, <laughs> <laughs> mm. what I had. And my doctor, I had no access to HCQ, didn't know about ivermectin at the time. So all I had was zinc, uh, 5,000 units of uh, vitamin C at the time. Uh, did not uh, know quite yet about the vitamin D uh, or quercetin. Uh well I think I think I did know about quercetin. Um I was sick for 11, for 11 days with fever. Mm. But the highest I ever got was 102 and a half or so. I never I, I never got danger zone, you know, 104 or whatever. Uh uh but for about a month after Michael, I I had that cough and I had, I could feel it in the upper part of my my lungs. Like, you know, just mm-hmm. just uh, five, six inches below the V in your collarbone, you know, at the top yep. of your rib cage there. I could feel it. And yeah, if I would, if, 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 if the tickle of the cough would come on, and if I'd give in to the first one, then <laughs> it was on. So I had to constantly, to, to do the show, had to have my finger on the mute button because I'd have to keep muting all the time because I, I'd get the cough. And I also found it difficult to breathe during the cough, so uh, it, it, it's 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 nasty. And I look, I didn't have the, uh, any of the variants. I had the non compromised first round edition of the Chinese Communist virus, uh, so <laughs> the CCB virus. So it sounds to me like that's what you had.
1: Oh, I'm I'm very certain of it.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that you got over it. And as I said, it was probably 30 days or so before I got finally got rid of that cough and did not uh, have uh, some lingering effects. Um, <clears throat> but then again, I remember 10 years ago or so when I, uh, I never went and got tested, so I don't know what I had, influenza A or B or whatever. But uh, I think I missed four days, three or four days on air. Um, and, uh, it was 30, 30 or so days. If you, if you get the flu, heaven forbid it turns into pneumonia, but if you get the flu and you get it bad, it doesn't turn into, into pneumonia. Uh, you'll still have conditions for, uh, f- four weeks, six weeks. Yep. yep. Now let me ask you, did the colloidal silver not assist at all?
1: Uh, I did take colloidal silver. Um, I had, uh, so I had the colloidal silver. I had, um. Uh, high doses of vitamin D and, and, um, uh, zinc, I was taking the zinc and, and I was taking high doses of vitamin C as well. So, you know, those things actually did help. They, they really did. Um, and I think that they may have shortened the active symptoms of the virus, you know, finally killing it after, I guess about 10 or 12 days. But, um, I don't know that they did anything to prevent or hinder the cough that I had. It, it was, that was, uh, seemed almost to be like an after effect. Uh, but it, it was just, yeah, it's just awful.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, um, you know, any case of the flu is bad. It doesn't matter what it came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and people seem to have lost sight of that or lost track of it. Uh, bought into the propaganda. No, this is the worst flu ever. Uh, you hear the horror stories about uh, the people that suffered under yellow fever uh, uh, here, for example, in the city of New Orleans, 30,000, mm-hmm. 40,000 over two three decades, you know, when an epidemic would pop up every flu season, uh, suffered uh, and uh, uh, died from it. For example, blessed uh, Father Xavier Zelos, uh, I mean, caring for the sick here, he came down with it. Uh, no flu is fun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why you don't want to get it.
1: Right, sure, sure.
0: So uh, what shall we talk about here today with the founder of the Lepanto Institute? I haven't been keeping up with uh, uh, with what's going on uh, with your work lately, although I know you've been traveling a bit. What's going on?
1: So uh, actually from mid-July, literally a couple of days after I got sick with with, uh, the virus— Uh, our website went down because somebody hacked into our domain registry account and took control, complete control, over what our URL was pointed to. Uh, They racked up a $6,000 bill purchasing a whole bunch of useless URLs, um, and they uh, pointed our website at nothing. So if you went to the Lepantoin.org website for the last month, all you got was our website's under construction. Come back later. And it took us that long, a month, to regain control over our own domain registry account because they changed all of the information, the login name, the login information, the contact information, uh, everything. The only thing they didn't change was the... uh, Uh, the credit card on record because they wanted to purchase things with our credit card. Fortunately, uh, the company recognized all of that as fraudulent. They refunded all of our, uh, all the false charges on our account. And again, it took us a while to get our website back up and running, but it's back up. And this morning we put out a new story because this, this is what we were going to put out (laughs) just days before everything got shut down. Okay. Uh, But uh, we finally put up a story. The headline is, Video, Bishop-Supported Organization Promotes Women's Ordination to Lay Catholic at Annual Assembly. Uh, And what happened was, uh, during the AUSCP Annual Assembly back in June, uh, there was a lady who was listening in the audience, listening to my presentation about the heresies of the AUSCP, the Association of United States Catholic Priests. Mm -hmm. And she realized that she had an appointment that she had to get to. So she left early and she was on her way out and she saw some people sitting at this desk, uh, in front of the AUSCP's own layout, you know, their, uh, their vendors and everything else. And she said, Hey, I, I just want you to know you, you don't represent, um, uh, Latino Catholics. Cause she was Latino. said, so you don't represent Latino Catholics. Uh, we don't support what you're supporting women's ordination and, and, uh, same sex marriage and all that kind of stuff. And the guy at the desk, his name is, uh, Gail Ubelor. He is the AUSCP assembly coordinator. He's on their leadership team. And he turns and looks at her and says, why wouldn't you want to be a woman priest? And she said, Well, because it's not biblical. It's not, Jesus didn't appoint anybody who was who was a woman. And he said, Where's that in the Bible? And while that's going on, <clears throat> Sister Jackie Dopker, who is the AUSCP executive se- secretary.
0: Now, is this the woman that has identified you previously and refused? Yes. Okay. I remember, <laughs> sister sister, uh, sister Jackie Pantsuit, I remember.
1: Yep, Sister Jackie Pantsuit. <laughs> and she snapped this lady's picture. So the, the lady in the video, her name is Lydia Hyde, said, why did you take my picture? said, fine, I'm going to pull out my phone and I'm going to video record you guys and we're going to have a conversation. <laughs> so she started recording the conversation as she's talking to them and said, you took my picture, you go on your phone and and I want to make sure you delete my picture. <laughs> and so Sister Jackie is just in there fumbling with her phone going, oh, I can't find your picture. I don't know what happened to it." <laughs> yeah. I mean, just playing as dumb as a box of rocks and of course, all of this is captured on video. And she said, if you don't delete my picture and prove to me that you delete my picture, I'm going to make sure that this video goes viral. So she and I had a conversation outside the AUSCP assembly meeting and she recounted everything that I just told you, all the, all the stuff that happened in this conversation. So I got her testimony and I spliced it in with, um, the video that she took. Of the two of them, and uh, I put it up as a brief article, just this I morning. So, I, I see it. I see it. So there you go. So that's that's the latest thing that we've got going on. Um,
0: well, you and we- I also haven't spoken since
1: the moto, pro- "Moto Proprio" came out. Yes. Yeah. Well, my understanding is that there's more more to come. But wait, there's more.
0: Yeah, well, that's uh, Anthony Stein was on last Monday, and that's what he said. Uh, haven't seen the document though that he has the I guess the draft version of which has uh, yet to be released. Uh, what are your thoughts on all that? What's going on with that?
1: Well, I, I think it's pretty clear that this is an assault on um, on the traditional Latin mass and traditional Catholics. Uh, which tells me that there is, this is all see a lot of people think that this is about the mass. I, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think that what what all of this is about is it's a prelude to the introduction of a new form of theology. And a lot of what we saw in the documents of Vatican II kind of I mean, this is something a lot of people don't realize. Pope Francis really is the logical final conclusion of the documents of the Second Vatican Council. If you read the documents, everything that he's doing is the the end result of the open door that was left by Vatican II. So what I think he is working on doing is establishing this pantheological ideology where all Christian communities and religions can be coalesced under the banner of the Catholic Church so that you can have pagan religions quote-unquote Christianized by having them replace their deities with Jesus and Mary, but while keeping a lot of their shamanic customs and their... Uh, their pagan rituals, Mm -hmm. uh, without really and truly bringing them into the fullness of the Catholic faith, you're now making a blend of Christianity and paganism. And with uh, the other Christian denominations out there, for lack of a better word, you're going to see an attempt to bring Protestants into the Catholic Church, sort of, by having intercommunion, and more uh, more uh, allowances, such as women deacons, um, that would— Can, can I bring,
0: just say right there while you're yeah. with Michael Hitchburn here at the Lepano Institute, women investments look ridiculous. Yes. They look preposterous. Yep. <laughs> there, there's nothing saintly, holy about it. They might as well have a clown suit on.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, they, they look as ridiculous as a man in drag. There you go. There you go. So the, um, the idea, or, or, or I think a lot of these ideologies that are coming out of uh, Francis's regime and uh, – the end result of the Second Vatican Council, what the whole idea is, it's not just to suppress and do away with the traditional Latin mass. That's the prelude. They can't accomplish what they want to accomplish as long as there is a refuge for faithful Catholics to go to. So they have to do away with that so that they can implement their pan-theological commissions that are going to introduce uh, pan-liturgical practices that transcend all all faiths, whether it's pagan or whether it's uh, Christian or, you know, some combination thereof. Uh, That's the idea.
0: Well, we have early evidence of this already with the pagan Methodist lunatic uh, Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago, Going to the Requiem Mass, or sort of Re- Requiem Mass, of that woman police officer that was killed in Chicago. Uh, Blaze Supich, Cardinal Supich is there, and Lori Lightfoot goes and stands online and receives a Blessed Sacrament from the pastor of that particular church. A complete and total outrage and slap. I say it was done intentionally, actually.
1: Well, the, the pastor did come out and, and say that he was mortified, that he didn't actually recognize her, which—
0: Oh, I didn't I, see I that. See. So, he, so after the fact, he did say that. Okay.
1: Yes, yes. So, you know, I, and, and from what I hear, he's actually a fairly conservative individual. So I, I, I would tend to believe his, right. his uh, statement that he was truly mortified and didn't recognize but her. But
0: how can you not recognize Beetlejuice?
1: But here's the problem. Why was there no... Yeah, I know. Why was there no um, announcement that if you are not Catholic, don't approach? Why was there no indication of proper protocols and procedures that typically come with a, uh, a mass where you know that there are a large number of people attending that are not necessarily Catholic? Why was there no indication that... If you're not Catholic, you should not approach for communion.
0: And can I tell you that uh, I do the announcements for Father Ken previously and now for Father Damien before Mass. So he doesn't have to, like the bulletin announcements and all that. Mm -hmm. And then I announce what day, uh, 13th Sunday after Pentecost, feast of uh, uh, this past Sunday was uh, the Immaculate Heart. And then uh, they humor me by letting me uh, write a little historical uh, a little paragraph or two, and I inform the, uh, the, the congregation of uh, <clears throat> some of the particulars about that particular saint or martyr or pope or whatever. Um, and in the two instances where I have been asked to do that before one time a baptism and one time a, a, a wedding, um, both of, uh, before uh, TLM, both of the uh, uh, the families that were involved specifically asked me, because they knew they'd have family members there that weren't practicing, weren't in a state of grace, or weren't Catholic, specifically asked me, Mike, we don't want to have to go up there and do it, Father doesn't want to either, Will you say the whole thing about if you're not Catholic or you're not a state of grace, please don't approach the altar for communion. So, mm-hmm. uh, um now, now I that wasn't me interjecting. I was asked. And you know, before every mass, I uh, you know, Father asked me to say, if you're new to the Latin Mass or new to Our Lady of Mount Carmel, please know that communion is received on the tongue while kneeling only. Yeah. You don't need to say amen before receiving because the priest said it for you. And that, you know, if you're sick or you can't kneel or whatever, remain in your seat and Father will assist you personally. I, I, my point is I, I completely agree, agree with you. We, we don't treat the Blessed Sacrament in almost every Catholic church in the world with the respect and reverence it needs to be treated with. Um, and I know that 90% of the congregation, and Father Damien and Father Kim before him, they know that 90% of the congregation don't need to hear my shtick about how to receive communion. But there are right. always visitors there. So you know, uh, a precaution should be. I think it's prudent to do so. Don't you agree?
1: Uh, absolutely, I think so. Especially as uh, there are more, important, more and more people coming into the Catholic Church or into Catholic churches, I should say, uh, in order to a see what's going on uh, and try and get a sense of you know what what is this all about. Yeah, I mean, we get we get non Catholics coming to our parish, our traditional parish down in Richmond. Uh, out of curiosity. Sure. And, you know, father isn't regularly making any kind of announcement, but he does inform on the nature and the gravity of receiving communion outside of a state of grace. He talks about it. So it's, it's important. I think, uh, as, as things go on, and and if you read the bullet I don't know if it's in the bulletin, but I do know that in some parishes they actually put in the bulletin, if you're not in a state of grace or if you're not a Catholic, please don't receive Holy Communion. Uh, it's it's probably something that would be very wise to make standard fair uh, in the parishes.
0: You know, it, uh, it if it's if not in the bulletin, uh, uh, do an announcement, and if not an announcement, uh, put it on the door. Right <laughs> when you walk in. Uh, put it on the door so that everyone has to recognize it. Michael Hitchborn of the Lepanto Institute's on the uh, Dude Maker Hotline with us. And I completely agree with you, and I bet many people uh, uh, are nodding their head in agreement, that we have seen a uh, an uptick in visitors.
1: Absolutely. And in people,
0: yes. uh, especially now, what an irony. I said the day the Proprio came out, when we got it on that, I think it was a Thursday or whenever, it said, well, their first mistake has already been made, and that's because pride always comes before a fall and they always overreach. And their first mistake was to, to make this uh, such a public spectacle that now you're going to have a couple of hundred million people, if not a billion or more, around the world who didn't even know this thing called a Latin Mass was still going on. You're going to have them now asking, going, what is this Latin Mass he's talking about? Mm-hmm. What, I never, I didn't even know Because I guarantee you There are tens of millions In the United States That didn't even know that it still existed But right. now they do And now they're going like Well is there one anywhere near me I might want to go check that out Yeah but It's going to work, it's going to backfire on them It's going to completely backfire on them
1: Well it necessarily has to I mean the, uh, the fact of the matter is That we're talking about something that is filled with grace uh, And you're talking about the perennial ancient rite of the church. And when you put that up against the more worldly, uh, it, it, it becomes a comparison between a house of sand and a house built on sand and a house built on rock. Yeah. What's, what's interesting about that parallel is that our Lord compares the two and he also pits those two things up against a storm. If you think about what that means in a, in a storytelling sense, both of them exist side by side and they are both enduring the same storm. I wonder if that storm that we are witnessing in the, the you know, the crisis of faith in the church and of course the obvious attack on our faith as the Biden regime is pushing more and more to, uh, to force us to take the jab, um, I wonder if that storm is eventually going to show one of these aspects of the Catholic Church or one of these uh, iterations, (laughs) uh, and I'm talking about the post-conciliar church, is going to be the house built on sand, whereas the perennial church, the traditional church, the the church that has withstood the the test of time for 1,960 years— is going to be the one built on rock, and we're going to see one pushed over and one remains standing.
0: Michael Hitchbourne at the Lapano Institute on the DoMaker Hotline with us. You know, I go to his website L-A-P-A-N-T-O-I-N.org. Uh, I will tell you off air how to pro- o- avoid ever having that happen to you again. Because <laughs> I don't want to tell people. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to make it public knowledge about what happened with your with your domain. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are things that you can do to uh, to protect yourself from that. But I do want to talk about something because uh, we can continue talking about this. That I thought of, uh, and you weren't available in July, uh, as as it happens here. <clears throat> and I, I'm I'm trying to remember the uh, the situation, but I I oh, uh, I you know it was a confrontation with someone over uh, the time between. Uh, Mankind as it existed up till Noah, the flood, Mm -hmm. and then mankind after Noah. Hmm. But first, let me ask you a theological question that you may know. This past Sunday's Mass, the epistle was taken from St. Paul, and I want to say it was to to the uh, Corinthians, and he gave a year. He said 436 years from the time the commandment was given. And I think he was talking about the 10 commandments. Do Mm -hmm. you know what the, uh, can you, if not I'll ask Brother Andre tomorrow, maybe he can do it. Can you put the 436 years or 439 years into context?
1: I, I actually don't know what he was talking about. Okay, I, all right. I have yeah, to look up uh,
0: the reading from uh, from this past Sunday, but it was in the epistle. And I'm going like, because St. Paul says he gives a number of years from when the commandment was given or to when the commandment is given. And I'm going like, is he saying from Adam to Moses 439 years? This was in the epistle? yes. Is that what he's saying? Because it, it, it had me the rest of the mass. <laughs> After I, I, I read I, it, I kept... All I could think about was the year count. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. And Father didn't explain it in his homily. So I'm going like, all right, I got to know. Why did St. Paul give me a count of years? And what commandment is he talking about? I assumed okay. it was the Ten Commandments.
1: Okay, I, I think I actually know. Um, So he's talking... Uh, how many years did he say?
0: I, I want to say it was 439.
1: 439 He's either
0: 439 or 436. I okay. think yeah.
1: So if I if memory serves, I think what he's talking about is the period of time between um King David and uh and and the coming of Christ.
0: Is 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 it that is it that small of a window? Less than 500 years between David yes, I, and Christ? Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I thought mm-hmm. it was like 2000. No, <laughs> My no, 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 chronology no. is
1: so off. No, it was it was only about 500 years. Okay, and it was kind of this lull period where uh, the Jews kind of had to settle down. <laughs> it was, and and uh, they they came under subjugation of, of the um, of the Romans, obviously. But I, I think that he's talking about that time period in order to make way or to prepare the way for the coming of Christ into the world.
0: Interesting that, i tell you what. Uh, I I just sent Maggie O'Connell to go fetch the missile. (laughs) Ah, there you go. So so I can actually, uh, because, uh, uh, anyway, I thought of you. I thought of David Simpson. I thought of Brother Andre and all the wise men that I could ask. And i going like, all right, I got to solve the mystery of this. What is he talking about? Uh, yeah. uh, but there was another event that uh, that had to do with something. With I was in, in a uh, argument with an atheist or uh, or uh, I don't know what he was about. You so you're telling me you believe that. The world is only 6,000 years old. I'm like, you know, do it. I don't have a, I I don't have a year to put on it. But, yes, Genesis is history, um, uh, you know, to which uh, they, they come out the woodwork on that one. Michael, I have it here. This is – I'm going to give you the exact – Galatians
1: 3.16. Ah, oh, okay. Uh,
0: I say that the testament which was confirmed by God, the law which was made after 430 years – doth not disannul. Uh, Okay, let me start from the beginning. Brethren, to Abraham were the promises made, and to his seed. He saith not, and to his seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Now this I say, that the the testament which was confirmed by God, the law which was made after 430 years, doth not disannul.
1: So what is he talking, does that help? Uh yes, let me uh let me pull up.
0: We got a lot of wise guys that are really good amateur theologians in our chat room. Sure, I'm surprised sure. one of them hasn't already <laughs> popped in there and gone like, "Pick me, pick me! I can explain it because." Right.
1: <laughs> let me see. Uh, typically, for something like this, I turn to either uh, Father George Leo Hydock okay, for his commentary, or I turn to um, uh, Father Cornelius Lapide. Uh, because both of them have I- incredibly good commentaries on Scripture. Uh, let's see. Let's try Hadock. Hey
0: uh, while you're doing that, uh, breaking news here on the Crusade Channel. When news breaks out, we break in, as we always do. This from uh Three minutes ago, the opposition in Israel, one of the most vaccinated countries in the world, urges an emergency Knesset session on hospital crisis amid the rise in COVID-19 morbidity. Close quote. Now, as we've been talking for the last week, you people, I've been updating you every day. We've been tracking everything that's coming out of Israel. Remember uh, now, they're about 60 days ahead of us. They're from 60 to 90 days ahead of us and uh, the uh, amount of vaccinations that have been dispensed. <laughs> Um, and uh, the, the the narrative as it's shaping up there does not bode well. As a matter of fact, this will be an embarrassment to uh, the Biden regime, all those that toe this line, and the FDA for making final approval yesterday of um, this inefficacious uh, gene therapy that they're passing off as a uh, as a vaccine. Uh, we will keep you posted on that. And you can keep it tune here to the Crusade Channel and uh, I will make sure uh, if news breaks out on that, we'll break in. Okay, uh, did you find it?
1: Uh, it I found a, an, an answer, but it doesn't quite answer the question. So I'm, uh, I'll have to study this a little bit and then okay. I'll get back to you.
0: I was just curious. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, Mike Churchill here on the Crusade Channel, uh, always on air, always online. May come as a surprise to some of our Evangelical and Protestant <laughs> listeners. You Catholics, you read the Bible at church, yeah, like five times. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the, the throughout the mass, they keeps going back to the Psalms, the whole lavabo, the washing of the hands, Psalm twenty five, the blessing of the incense. I forget which psalm it is, but per intercessione uh, uh, sancta Michael Archangel. And then after that, there's a psalm about you know letting the the, the sweet perfume of of, of our sacrifice rise to the clouds, there's uh, psalms and uh, uh, the, most of the mass, other than the proper nouns, uh, is derived from some part of Holy Scripture you know, because it's based, based on, of course, originally, I uh, got to member, they were Jews. This is a, a Jewish high, holy, holy, holy ceremony that Christ came in and went, all right, don't do that anymore. Do this. <laughs> right. Um, so in any event, I want to get back to the, uh, my uh, uh, more metaphysical discussion with, uh, with you. Um, and we can continue on, of course, talking about what, what and I agree with you about this is not about the mass. My friend David Simpson always has said since I started going to TLM in 2012, Mike, don't think of it as the mass only. Think of it, it is the mass, but it is the sacred tradition. It's living the faith. It's it's the teaching. It's the whole thing. The mass, of course, is at the center of it, but it's not the whole thing. Right. Um, and, when, and when people think it's just like, <clears throat> for example, you could take the mass away from it. Go ahead. Can't take the rest of the deposit of faith. Can't take the dogma. Can't take my practice of the doctrine uh you can you, you you can't take the sacraments uh, and if you start taking sacraments away well then you're officially now in 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 heresy and somebody uh, the holy ghost will correct you um but you have to view it as the whole thing um so when we talk about it uh, it's it's always important because people a lot of people get very upset they're going to take the mass away from us, what are we going to do catacombs oh dude <laughs> catacombs That's where it always leads. That's where it leads. Uh, But uh, to the same thing that happened in July and then what's been happening since the moto proprio and then the advent here of these uh, vaccine mandates and uh, for employers and what have you here. And just the confluence of events. This, of course, we just uh, yesterday finished the octave of the assumption, right? and uh, uh, tomorrow we do the feast of St. King Louis the IX. Uh, uh, August is a very active month here. Um, and, of course, August the 13th, which is already passed, was the day in Fatima when the bad guys, the mayor of Fatima, locked the kids up in jail and wouldn't let them go visit uh, the Blessed Virgin. Uh, of course, when they got out, they went and they got the apparition. I'd actually asked Mariana Bartold to uh, to come on and uh, talk a little bit more about uh, about this, but it seems to me that if you know a little bit about some of the backstory of Fatima as it relates to the Book of Daniel
1: and the mm-hmm. Star of
0: Esther, um, uh, 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 that the events that were that are that were happening right now. Now you just had a conference. On the great apostasy and I think the last time you and I talked you were getting ready for the great apostasy concert conference but hadn't had it so what was the conclusion what was the overall conclusion what's the uh, the synopsis the summary is this is is this the great apostasy or is it still being baked
1: So there are there are um, differing ideas, but the general consensus is that what we are facing is not the great apostasy as uh, foretold by scripture, but is uh, certainly a, a dress rehearsal. That there is something that is called the minor chastisement. Okay. Uh, not minor because it's it's uh, minuscule, but minor because it is. It's like the difference between Asia Minor and Asia Major or James the Greater and James the Less. One is not greater than the other insofar as who is better or bigger or more powerful, but one precedes the other. That's what it means. So the minor chastisement is the chastisement that precedes the major chastisement, which is the end of the world. So what we are witnessing, or the general consensus is that what we are witnessing is the foretaste. It is the um, uh, the minor chastisement that will precede the major chastisement, and so we are seeing kind of a, a minor apostasy, and yes, there we can use that word, I, I think, uh, in relation to what is happening, but not in the final sense that we're we're going to see a falling away but not a complete and total collapse of of uh, and abandonment of the faith and the the what you see in the um in the major or the uh, the great apostasy is foretold in scripture is that it is the final event where the gentiles completely abandon the faith and renounce it and turn to their pagan ways and then you have the, um, the Jews converting into the faith. So, and, and this is actually played out, and I think it's one of the reasons why Anibal Bunini got rid of this aspect of the Mass when he wrote the Novus Ordo Mass. But what you see played out in, in the Mass is the movement of the book, the, the, uh, the lectionary that sits on the altar. In the beginning of mass, the lectionary is on the right side. Correct. And that's the Jew side. That's right. The Jewish side. It, rep- it represents the Jews. It's it's the epistle side of the altar.
0: You see, you people, there's a lot going on here in a in a Catholic mass the way it was before the revolution of the late sixties mm-hmm. and seventies. There's a lot going on here, and when you start to understand it, even I, and I say this to my dear dear Protestant friends, when you start to to, to kind of process this, you'll see. This is not ad hoc. It wasn't made up in the 13th century by some monk or uh, ordered by some pope. This this stuff came organically. That's what a liturgy is. Uh, and, yes, it began in the upper room with the apostles and our Lord uh, conducting the first mass, which you know as Holy Thursday and the Last Supper. Right. Okay. So we start sure. on the Jewish side, and that's an acknowledgment that uh, uh, the children of God once upon a time were the Jews, the Israelites.
1: Right. And and what it signifies <clears throat> is that the covenant, the word, is with the Jews. Uh, and then after the God or, or after the epistle is read, the altar boy who represents the angels ascends the altar takes the lectionary in hand, descends the altar, signifying a removal, and then ascends the altar again on the left-hand side, which is the side of the Gentiles, indicating that the word was taken from the Jews, the Old Covenant was ended, and a new covenant was established by which the Gentiles were brought into the fullness of the faith. And that is the side where the gospel is read. Right. And then that it, the lectionary remains there all the way to the end of Mass. And then just before the end of Mass, which is also representative of the end of the world, uh, the lectionary is removed from the gospel side, the Gentile side, signifying the great apostasy. And then the altar boy ascends again, to place the lectionary on the right-hand side of the altar, which is the Jewish side, to signify the mass conversion of the Jews at the end of the world. So all of this dramatic interplay is a catechism in and of itself showing the movements of the, uh, the, the, the Word of God on the altar as he relates with the various uh, elements of human society leading up to the end of the world. So the, the great apostasy has to be complete. It's going to be complete that the Gentiles will completely abandon the faith. It doesn't mean all of them because certainly when, um, when Christ came, the very first generation of Christians were Jews. Right. So there will be Gentiles who remain faithful, but not many. Not many at all. Uh, and the rest of them will co- not just abandon the faith, but completely renounce it. The Word will be taken from them and then given back to the Jews, which will be the conversion of the Jews at the end of the world. and that's uh, that's what will precede or what will come just before everything is finally closed. Uh, And as Fulton Sheen said, the jailer will come rattling his keys, saying it's closing time.
0: Right. Um, Now, as you hear all this and you're wondering, uh, I would also say this to anyone that's listening and has never been. If you are blessed to live somewhere, if you're a Baptist, if you're Episcopalian, if you're a Presbyterian, uh, if you're an evangelical, a Congregationalist, whatever the case is, if there's a Latin mass that's still going on somewhere around you, sneak in the back one day and go. Just go watch it. Don't bring or a missile. You don't need a missile. Just watch it. Yeah, I challenge you to just watch it. Watch it. Watch right. it from especially a high mass. Find a high mass. Uh, watch it from the uh, the beautiful entrance of the uh, the deacon, the subdeacon, or the altar service, If there aren't a deacon or subdeacon and then the priest in Persona Christi as he represents our Lord at the Last Supper, Um, uh, and then all of the movements that go on. uh, They're the exact same, no matter where you would see that on Earth. There's no difference. You could see it in uh, Peoria, Illinois. You can see it in Michaels, Richmond, uh, Virginia. You could see it in my church's Our Lady of Mount Carmel and the Mr. Fish masks. We're in an old retail fish store building. (laughs) And Our Lady of Mount Carmel, No different anywhere in the world. Take it in. Take it in. Because at the very least, it's like, well, that's not what most, I think the biggest compliment or the biggest, the most common refrain that I've heard from people who have never seen it before is, wow, I was not expecting that. Right. I was not expecting that. So <clears throat> there's that. Now, so we're in the warm up to the the great apostasy. <laughs> this is the minor apostasy, which would then mean if if, if if that is is the case, as we have been counseling here, uh, gentlemen, men, start treating your home, your homestead like a homestead in like a kingdom. Name it. Give it a right. name. Mine is is King Landia. It will be Walsingham West someday soon. God willing, uh, give it a name and be the king. Doesn't mean be a jerk and start screaming and yelling at people and taxing them in your house. Um, It means be the king, be the king, the priest, and the philosopher as uh, Dr. Dilsaver says. And then find other kings and start making common cause. And you better start doing it now because you need to know who is on the right side of things that are coming. Uh, uh that this is probably the most important thing outside of saying yes to conversion, uh, baptism, convert uh, conversion, baptism, uh, and then con- uh, a confirmation. Um, and probably the most important thing you'll ever do for your family. Um, poop's starting to get real, as a matter of <laughs> fact, Michael. L- 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 hang on a sec, Maggie, yeah. will you play? Digital media file number two. I want you to hear this, Michael. We can talk about this. Mm -hmm. This is now the purportedly Catholic Biden won't pronounce from uh, his high pulpit, will not pronounce the sanctity of human life. Now, if he has the authority to start running around telling employers what they ought to be doing in this Why doesn't he ask a similar bully pulpit authority to start suggesting, as President Trump did, that women shouldn't be killing their soon-to-be-born children? hmm? So I want you to listen to this. Listen to this. Today I'm calling on more country, more companies, I should say, in the private sector to step up with vaccine requirements that will reach millions more people. If you're a business leader, a nonprofit leader, a state or local leader who has been waiting for full FDA approval to require vaccinations, I call on you now to do that. Require it. Do what I did last month. Require your employees to get vaccinated or face strict requirements. Okay. That is an an outrageous act there for a regime leader, uh, pretending to be president, to be telling people in uh, the private sector to subject their employees and everyone under their command to, let's just say it's not experimental anymore, to a questionable gene therapy, medical therapy treatment? This is outrageous. Why aren't people screaming from the rooftops that something is wrong with this man? And something is afoot here. This is not red versus blue politics, Mr. Hitchborn. This is not Democrats versus Republicans. This is straight up, unmitigated, unadulterated, showing before to the naked eye, this is demonic, diabolical evil at work. That's what I say.
1: Well, what it begs a lot of questions, too. Why are they pushing this particular shot? uh the survivability of of the China virus is incredibly high it's what what is it ninety nine point six percent
0: well you and I are testaments to that
1: yes so <laughs> two guys know, the, that
0: had it are talking right now we are yes. living breathing testaments to the survivability
1: so you know it, you have this survive extremely survivable and and i'll I'll just go ahead and say it it's not pleasant but it's a, it's very highly survivable um illness when you have an illness like that and they're requiring a, a vaccine for it you know you take a shot with regard to this particular illness that doesn't prevent you from getting it and doesn't prevent you from spreading it but ostensibly mitigates the symptoms then what you're talking about is something that is supposed to be for your own protection. That's right. right. That's right. Right. So if you're going to try and they say it's all about your neighbor, except it's not. If you're not preventing it and you're not uh, causing it to to slow the spread because getting the shot does neither of those things no by their own admission now by their own admission by their own
0: admission their own cdc directors out there going okay we know it doesn't stop transmission right okay what's the point then
1: right the point is that they want to make sure that you are safe for you well i'm sorry but i get to make my own medical decisions regarding how i am uh you know whether I want to take this particular medicine or that particular medicine. If if I have cancer, the doctor can't strap me to a bed and force me to take chemo.
0: Uh, apparently, if you want to keep your job, he can.
1: <laughs> uh, well, and that's the way that they're billing it, isn't it? It is. And 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 let's take <clears throat> it a step further. There are other illnesses out there that are extremely deadly, like heart disease, that have certain things that science shows as indicators of how you uh, contract heart disease and how you can prevent it. Mm -hmm. So why is the government now not mandating that people no longer eat certain foods because it leads to heart disease or that they no longer live a certain sedentary lifestyle because it leads to heart disease? Or why don't we have mandatory exercise when are they going to instill that? But no, this is about the jab. This is about the shot because there's something in it.
0: Got to be something want in us it.
1: To have. That's what it's got to be about.
0: Michael Hitchborn of the Lapano Institute at L-A-P-A-N-T-O-I-N.org. Uh, you want to hazard a... Uh, this is a purely pure, full disclaimer, thought experiment. <laughs>
1: Okay. What do you so, think is in it? I, I think there are sterilants in it.
0: Okay, I agree. Every, everyone seems to agree that this is a demonic assault on life and that, um, uh, especially now that they're progressing to this. Well, you're going to have to have a third one. We have a soundbite. I can't play it for you because it's got a couple of F bombs in it. But uh, the baptized and confirmed Catholic, Bill Maher, and I, I didn't know that Bill Maher was a was a Catholic until I watched that ultimate uh, that, that great movie um, uh, about the Latin Mass that just came out last week, part one, episode one. Um, <clears throat> I didn't know Jimmy Fallon was <laughs> an altar yeah. server. Did what's what's that, Maggie? Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, Bill Maher comes out and goes like, "Wait a minute! Wait! 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 You want me to sign up now?" To take a third one after eight months, that means in eight more months you're gonna come at me again. Okay, that's it. F that, I'm out. Right. I, I, I mean, even the libtards that went along with it just to go along with it, because Biden suggested it or whatever, are now going like, oh, wait a minute. Doesn't that make Bill Maher a vax denier of sorts? Won't he then? Because if you don't get the third, then you have no protection. Against the incoming Lambda variant or whatever. So, Lambda variant. It would seem to me that if you refuse the third as you're ordered to do by your all seeing, all knowing uh, federal uh, elite uh, uh, ruling overlords, then mm-hmm. put you in the same category as me. Because as I've said, nope, not going to do it. Besides, I got it. I'm already immune.
1: Right. <clears throat> yep. Yep, that's how it works. That's how it works. So, um, I I do find it interesting that that Bill Maher, who is is vociferously against religion, specifically the Catholic faith. Well, he uh, made a
0: movie called Irreligious.
1: Yeah. Um, or
0: religiosity, or something stupid like that. Whatever. Something, it something
1: dumb like that. But you know, it, it just just like with um, we're finding out. I I have to say. Discovering that Bill Maher is a is a Catholic, fallen away Catholic, I have to wonder if maybe he was the victim of abuse as well. Because a lot maybe. of Maybe a lot of times people who hate the church actually hate somebody who did something to them in the name of the church. And this is So the, I do have to wonder.
0: Yeah, I have to wonder as well. You know, Jimmy Fallon was asked and he just went, I don't know, I went one time and I went to the mass because he guess what? grew up going to what? TLM. He mm-hmm. said uh, when he was a little boy, when he was an altar server, and then he said, when I went to, I went, when I said I was going to go back to church, I went one time and went, I don't recognize this. Right. What is this? Now that's telling. Well, at least I, I'll give Fallon credit. At least, you know, the guy that was interviewing him about it, he was brutally honest about it. Then he goes, I just, I went and seen anything. The there, there, there was no appeal. Oh, so, so you went to a clown mass where they were passing a beach ball around or whatever. Or where a father came in in a Hawaiian shirt and slapped low fives as he was walking down the aisle. Uh, all of these novelties are outrages to the fact that, and this is what Chris Ferraro, your buddy and mine, says about it, it's an even greater outrage that the consecration is valid. And that the Lamb of God actually, regardless of the heretic or whatever that's on the... Uh, Uh, That's that's conducting the the, the mass. It is valid. It is the Lamb of God. It is the holy body and the precious blood. That makes it an even greater outrage that those abuses and novelties take place uh, right there uh, where reverence and solemnity are preferred and required. And 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 I'm not knocking because people gonna say you're just knocking on the people that don't go to your mass. All of us Novus Ordo. No, I'm not. I am completely ambivalent about it. You could be the greatest. You could be a saint, and go to nothing but blaze soupage Latin mass. I mean, uh, Novus Ordo. That uh-huh. is not the point, right, Michael? You com- you you agree with me on that? I do. So we we now Mike Church three years ago. Okay, you got me. Today, nope. That's not me. I don't care. See, I'm ambivalent about it. I do care about how you practice, though. Mm-hmm. I do care about the habits and the uh, the virtues that you think the faith requires of you. I do care about that, and I know you do too, as well.
1: Well, absolutely. the uh, The way that we worship God uh, definitely matters. Lex erandi,
0: yeah. lex vivendi, lex credendi. Right.
1: Right. So if if you uh, if you read the book of numbers and, and here's a a surprise to all your Protestant friends, because uh, I I actually know the book of numbers Um, (laughs) in the book of numbers. There is a rebellion by Kor Dathan and Abiram. And I highly recommend, especially your Protestant friends to read that story because what happens is they approach Moses and they said, what do you, what do we need you for? We don't need you. We can worship God in our own way. And Moses throws himself on his face uh, asking God not to smite them and, and all this stuff. And, and God says, no, no, no. go ahead. let them build up their own, pen, their own tent and let them make sacrifice in their own manner. but you do the sacrifice as I have given it to you. Mm. So now you have two different tents, one with Moses where he is offering the sacrifice. And one with Kor, Dathan, and Abiram, who are heresy arks. Okay? They are the first schismatics. They have denounced Moses, and they have said, we can worship in our own way. So they're they're heretics and they're schismatics. Interesting. And what happens is, the earth opens up and swallows them all whole into hell. And what's fascinating about this is that later on, we hear... um, uh, w- or we read about the descendants of Kor Dathan, and Abiram continuing on with Moses and his quartery. Now, if Kor Dathan, and Abiram were in their tents and and everybody was swallowed whole into hell, then it should stand to reason that their descendants who were with them would have been swallowed into, whole, into hell whole as well. Sounds but they weren't. Okay. And the church fathers speculate that they were mystically suspended in the air because they were not guilty of the rebellion as Kor, Dathan, and Abiram were, ah. which is to say that the descendants of the heresy arks are not themselves guilty of the initial heresy, which is why the Samar- why Jesus talks to the Samaritans and why he elevates the Samaritans, for their faith in a certain respect. So those Samaritans who are the heres the, the heretics of the day of Christ, right? So the Jews were the, the faithful and the Orthodox and the, the Samaritans were the heretics that went off to worship in their own way. But Jesus elevates the Samaritans because as Fulton Sheen said, flame has two different elements, heat and light. We have the light, but they have the heat, and I think in many ways the uh, the Protestants of today have a lot more fervor in their faith than many Catholics do, and as a result, they have uh, a, a certain place as the descendants of Kordathan and Abiram had in the uh, the company of the saints. Interesting,
0: uh, Mike Churchill here on the Crusade Channel. We we were. Two chatters away from hitting 100 a moment ago at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Uh, maybe we could get that uh, before we leave. Um, tomorrow's the, uh, the feast of St. King Louis the Ninth, and uh, it will be a big day here. Our news team will cover it. Uh, Brother Andre Marie and I will cover it. I'm sure Kennedy and Barrett will, uh, will cover it. Um, uh, because if there's one thing that we could say here, and I, I spent uh, an hour talking about George Washington today. Uh, much to the—it uh, was a very controversial subject here because, you know, the, the fact that Washington kind of wrote in Masonic prose. You know, the a lot of the founders did, the deist, mm-hmm. you know, the searcher of hearts, you know, the author of all truths and all that. It is true that that is not Catholic or Christian prose. And it is also true that Washington did not say or write, uh, to our knowledge anyway— now, we don't have all of his correspondence, and maybe that's what he burned. Because, you know, it is true that he burned hundreds upon hundreds of pages of correspondence the last day that he was roaming around Mount Vernon before he was confined to his sickbed because he got an acute case of streptococci, strep throat, and then died from the fever. Um, but that Washington uh, uh, is said to have been a uh, a mason— but the point I was making about Washington was that his Masonic, whether or not he was or was not, whether or not he was, and as I said, there's no evidence that he was a Robespierre. I'm sorry, guys, you can throw all the evidence you want of how he wrote, he was not a Robespierre. That's a Mason. That's a demonic, violent, murderous Mason, Robespierre. So if you want to see how one actually acts, there's your first model, Robespierre and the boys in France. So my point, though, from oh, sorry, somebody in the chat room says, "Come on, King dude, Washington died of COVID 19 <laughs> <laughs> That's right, I forgot. Uh, my point about bringing Washington up was about at the time of the American Revolution, uh, there were statues of King George the uh, Third, King George uh, the Second, uh, uh, I believe the first uh, Queen uh, Victoria, et cetera, et cetera, that dotted city uh, uh, centers all across the 13 colonies. The American uh, colonists loved their monarchy. They didn't hate it, they loved it. Now, it was a flawed monarchy because of the treachery of the House of Tudor, which was then passed on to what? Uh, The Stuarts, right? And then the Mm -hmm. Windsors, Tudor, Stuart, Windsor, I think. Uh, Maybe I have that backwards. Um, But uh, one chatter away from making a 100 If you're out there CrusadeChannel.com forward slash chat Take one for the team and log in Uh, My my point about bringing Washington up was He was very king-like And people trusted him I don't even Look, I don't trust my state representative anymore I don't trust the pipsqueak city councilman Or parish councilman that meets across the street from me over there You know Why? Because he's betrayed me, and he's betrayed the public trust. That is a big thing. And if we don't have trust in leaders, well, then we need a system of of government. Maybe it could be this one. I don't think so, but it could be that it has new leaders in it that demonstrate trustworthiness. And I think the first thing about trustworthiness is do not spend money that belongs to my children that haven't even been, been born yet. Right. you could start there with that <clears throat> all right we gotta go uh give us the final word uh mid uh, hitchburn I don't know if you have a uh, devotion at all the Saint King Louis on the 28th of this month my patron and confirmation Saint Saint Augustine that's another big day here who is your confirmation Saint
1: Saint George I uh, I took the I George... never would have thought you were a dragon slayer yeah well <laughs> go <laughs> figure um no, I, I actually took Saint the name of Saint George as my confirmation saint specifically because of the story that I read about him when I was a kid where George, Saint George, uh, who was a Roman Centurion. That's right, was traveling from one town to another and, and actually he was he was I think in um, Turkey at the time. He was from Turkey. So it's kind of funny that he would be taken as the uh, patron saint of England. But uh, he was traveling, and he came to a particular town where everybody was upset because uh, the town uh, was being beset upon by a dragon that first ate all their crops, then it ate all their sheep, then it ate all their cattle, and they wound up drawing lots to uh, determine – which of the children they were going to feed to the dragon in order to keep it from destroying the entire village. (laughs) I remember
0: this. I know this story. Go ahead.
1: So they were all in, in the uh, church and they were crying and sniffling and, and carrying on and, and begging God to do something about it. And, As they were doing all of this, George happens into town and and he notices that nobody's around and he's kind of curious about that and says, where is everybody, you know, and goes into the back of the church and he whispers to somebody, says, hey, you know, what's, what's going on here? And the person in the back of the church kind of chastises him and says, where have you been? Says, there's a dragon and he's doing all these things. And George said, okay, so have you tried to kill the dragon? (laughs) and the guy looks at him and with kind of a startled face and says are you are you kidding it's a dragon we can't do that and he says fine i'll do it and they said well how he says i don't know god will provide the way but i'll go out there and follow whatever god's inspiration is and I'll kill the dragon so he does he goes out there and and uh gets into a jousting match, match with the dragon and skewers it on his lance and kills the dragon and rescues the uh the The daughter of the town, and oftentimes you'll see in paintings uh, Saint George slaying the dragon with his lance, and you'll see uh, a maiden on her knees in prayer, and the the maiden typically represents the church, and Saint George in slaying the dragon is defending the church against the uh, the assaults on the church, so. I was so impressed by that story. I was like, well, yeah, people have to be willing to go out there and do what it is that God is inspiring them to do in order to defend the church. And and the fact that we don't have many people doing that is a sign of why the church is in the crisis that she's in. I was, you know, how old was I? Uh, 14. And I said, yep, that's my saint. And that's who I chose. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Um,
0: I did a story on this uh, When it was his feast day A couple years ago When I was making that announcement I was telling you about And uh, the oldest church Catholic church Still in existence You can still go there today In Syria Is what? St. George's Interesting Yeah And they've dated it to About the 5th century 460 some It's a beautiful story. And as you said, you don't make a patron saint for your country out of something that didn't happen. (laughs) St. George is one of those. They say St. Christopher didn't happen. St. George didn't happen. I know. Uh, Ursula, St. Ursula didn't happen. And all the rest of them. Um, It's another story. There's another story of. Pope uh, Leo the uh, Leo the Fourth slew a dragon on the feast of the um, Let's see here. What's December the eighth? That's the um, en- uh, Annunciation, right? No, no, that's not the Annunciation. No. What is it, December the it's,
1: eighth? It's a, isn't that Our Lady's birthday?
0: Yes. So uh, on December the eighth, they were having a procession around Rome. A dragon flew in, terrified the people, who ran into their houses. And Leo IV said, Where are you going? I got this. The dragon landed and he stabbed it with his crozier.
1: No kidding. I, I don't know this story. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. I think it was on December. It was on a Marian feast day that they were and they were making a procession throughout the town. And he slay, slayed it uh, in the name of Our Lady. Uh, St. Martha went and tamed the dragon, yep. put a leather uh, collar around him, and walked him into town to show the people. Look, he's harmless. (laughs) Right. Uh, So uh, believe in dragons. You know, uh, uh, a crocodile may have been what they were, may have been a dragon. Or maybe it was some iteration of some reptilian creature uh, that was still roaming after the flood. Noah, if there were dragons and St. George slew one, then Noah had one on the ark.
1: You know what would be a great program, maybe the next time I'm on, we could have a whole discussion about dragons. But,
0: dude, it'll be number one in the downloads on YouTube.
1: Yeah. We could have a whole discussion about dragons, and and what I'll do is I'll send you the newsletter that I wrote about the story, The Reluctant Dragon, (laughs) and why it is a sign for what we're going through today. Uh, uh,
0: Dragons, not drag queens. (laughs) <laughs> dragons slay drag queens yes yes we'll do the dragon show well, let's book it two weeks from today sounds good to me all right brother i'm glad you're feeling well and you're back up in adam we need you in the fight uh and you and i are also brothers to another uh another brotherhood uh always good to know that in this Communion of saints on earth here, or people trying to be saints, we're not Mormons, (laughs) people trying to be saints. By the way, the TV show, Hell on Wheels, yes, it's vulgar, yes, it's profane, but I suspect that it's probably very accurate as to the way the the Old West was. Does not do Brigham Young and the Mormons any favors. Huh.
1: I'm not familiar with this one.
0: Uh, It was an AMC show. As I said, you probably wouldn't like it. It's pretty profane. Um, It's about the building of the Union Pacific Railroad, and they got to go through Mormon country. It does not do Brigham Young and the Mormon cult any favors. None. How funny. Yeah. uh, As a matter of fact, I'm going like, the writers of this show almost tried to get it right. Now, they completely botched the Irish Catholics.
1: There's a shock. Yeah,
0: yeah, shocker, right? Uh, in any event, we'll see you on Dragon Tuesday, two weeks from today. Roger that. All right, Roger that. Brother, God bless you.